I will be reading from 1 John chapter 4 and selected verses. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8. Anyone who does not love, love does not know God, because God is love. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has been has not been perfected in love. Verse 21. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the Lord of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. If you guys don't know me, my name is Braden Shelton. I want to start out by saying thank you for your donations and prayers and that your generosity is truly appreciated. Last week we raised over $8,000 at our fundraiser meal, which is double from last year. I will be going to my third CIY this summer, and I'm really sad that it's going to be my last one. CIY has made a huge impact on my life. It has brought me closer to God and my classmates that I went with. The experience is truly in, indescribable. Worshiping God for a whole week puts things into perspective and makes us think about what is truly important. I really can't explain how much fun it really is, but I can tell you that the two weeks I have spent at CIY have been two of the best weeks of my life. I was fortunate enough to talk two of my best friends into going last year. And it was amazing to watch them grow in their faith and have a blast while being here. So my main point is if, if you will have a kid who will be in high, high school next year, or you are going to be in high school next year, sign up for CIY. I promise you'll never regret it. Thank you. Thank you, Braden. Appreciate all of our kids uh, being willing to give their testimony about what uh, CIY has. Man, I should have done this earlier. I am, I am stuck. Well, we'll just pull it up. There we go. Okay. Uh, all of our kids who have uh, helped us with uh, just what CIY has been to them, that has uh, really given us a glimpse of uh, hopefully what CIY is about, what difference it can make in the lives of kids. And I hope you've seen that. We are in our final week of uh, the Contrast Sermon Series, and we've been talking about being different, being different, and we've prayed for that, actually, each Sunday as we've opened the service. That prayer is a commitment to contrast, right? We, we stand out by stepping into uh, joy from anxiety. We step uh, into light from the dark. We step into obedience from rebellion. We step into belief from <laughs> denial. And our prayer at the start of this was that we would be different after five weeks. So let me ask, how's that going? Are you different? Have you stepped out into some of those things? The Christian life is one of movement. It's not static. We can't ever stay where we are. No matter how long we've been at this, it always takes another step forward. There's always further to go. And your question to ask yourself is, what step am I taking to step into contrast? At the heart of contrast is opposites. 
Maybe you've picked up on that. Light is opposed to dark, right? Uh, belief is opposed to denial. Obe uh, obedience is opposed to rebellion. And so I want to do a really easy exercise. Let me say a word, okay? And I want you collectively as the audience to give me its opposite. Okay, we'll start with a very simple one. Up. Very good. You, you got the hang of this. You're, you're really good. Okay, here we go. Happy. Tall. Empty. Fast. Right. How many of you said left? Yes. I, I figured, I, I wrote that on the page and I thought, right, wrong, but, but I went to left too, like right, left. It just depends on whether you're driving a car or whether you're in church. Okay? Alright. Uh, rich. Or large. Small. Last one. Love. Hate. Hate. Isn't that where we go? <laughs> we have been tra trained over our lives to believe that the opposite of love is hate. But John is going to say something in his letter that we've been studying that is new. It's a different perspective. It's a new spin. John will say something very interesting. And the key verse probably in the text that I've included in your bulletin is in verse 18. It's probably the heart of what John is trying to get across. And verse 18 says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Do you see what John is saying? John is saying that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. Fear. That's probably not what we've come to naturally believe. It's clearly not what comes to mind first. And so let's dig into that a little bit today. Let's talk about first our fear. What are you afraid of? Statistics uh, can show us pretty easily what we're afraid of. Um, the people that research these things uh, find that the answers don't change too much over the years. I want you to raise your hand if you identify with some of these fears. How many of you are afraid of, let's just call them creepy crawly things, whatever they might be, mice, uh, snakes, uh, bugs, spiders, how many? Yes. Uh, statistically, 23% of us are definitely afraid of, let's just say, creepy crawlies. I saw on Facebook this last week that you are never more than 10 feet away from a spider. For some of you, that makes you really, like you've checked out of the sermon. You're not listening to anything because you're worried about, okay, where's the spider? Can I suggest the podcast for you today, okay? Just this week, just check out the podcast and you will find what you miss. How many of you are afraid of heights? Not as many. I am one of these people. 24% uh, of us are afraid of heights. I have the answer. Um, it won't totally cure you of your uh, fear of heights, but when you buy a really old two-story house where you have to get up on the roof, uh, you learn to deal. You learn to manage your fear of heights. How many of you are afraid of needles? That's a fear. Yeah. 18% of us. 
are afraid of needles. How many of us are claustrophobic? Well, I don't want to be in a tight space. 17% of us are claustrophobic. And if you can believe this, 8% of us are actually afraid of zombies. <laughs> yes. Researchers say 8% of us. Anybody? Anybody out there? So here's the deal. Here's the interesting thing. How can we believe, how can we be afraid of something that doesn't exist? Researchers say that we have a fast, there's a fascinating correlation between what we watch on TV and what we fear. Oh, that makes sense. So if I watch nothing but political news, guess what I'm going to be afraid of? <laughs> and if I watch zombie movies, guess what I'm going to be afraid of? And probably our greatest fear, uh, maybe you've heard this along the way, is still public speaking. Most of us would hate to be on the stage right now talking to the rest of us. We fear public speaking more than we fear death. And so Seinfeld, if you are a fan of that show, he made a quip about that. He said public speaking is number one on our fear list and usually dying is number four or number five. And so he said if we're at a funeral, we'd rather be in the casket than the one having to give the eulogy. That's what he said. And he's right. Why is that? Why are we so afraid? of something like that, and psychologists give us the answer. They say that we fear speaking in front of people because we fear being negatively evaluated. We fear being rejected because of what we said. We fear possibly even being abandoned by the people we want to be accepted by, by our peers, and what we really fear, we could say it this way, we fear being voted off the island. That's what we fear. Nobody wants to be rejected. Perhaps our greatest fear is that our love won't be returned by someone we want to be close to. After the service, if one of you came up to me and said, you know what, I never, Dusty, I never want to hear you or see you or talk to you again, that would be a bad morning for me, okay? But if my wife came up to me, and said, you know what, after that service, I never want to see you or hear you or talk to you again. Let's just say that's worse, right? The deeper we love, the more rejection kills us. And so what John says in our text is he gets right to the issue. He, he doesn't want his readers to fear that God has rejected them. And so to allay that fear, he says, there is a God who loves you. He says it with a few statements like this. Love is from God. God is love, verse 7 and 8. And then he echoes that over and over in this text. In your bulletins, I put those phrases that he uses in bold. And John is very clear that God has not rejected you. God loves you. And then he gives us proof. And the proof that God loves us and that he does love us is that he hasn't rejected us because he has sent his son. Verse 9 and 10 says that he sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a really fancy way of saying that he's covered our sins by what Jesus did on the cross. 
He has made the payment for all the things that we've done wrong that separate us from God. He has become the propitiation. God has nailed Him to a cross as a sacrifice for sin. And that's the proof that God loves us. That Jesus was willing to go to the cross. And let's be on Palm Sunday. Let's be very clear about what is going on at the cross that we will celebrate this Friday. You see, Jesus had power. He's cast out demons from people. He's made blind men see. He's commanded wind and waves. He's called people out of tombs. And we have every reason to believe that his power was still with him even as he hung on a cross. And I don't know who said it first, but the, the saying is absolutely true that the nails weren't what was holding Jesus on the cross. He could have come down. He could have gotten out of the cross. What held him there? It was his love that held him on the cross. And that cross is proof that God loves us. That we have not been rejected by them. The way we know someone loves us is that they show it by their actions. And the cross is God's way of proving that he loves us. And so do you see what John is getting at here? We fear the most when we doubt that our love will be returned. And that's impossible. That's what John says. It's impossible with God. Because God's love has always been there. There's no room to doubt whether God will return our love. Because it's been there from the beginning. His love was there first. And just as uh, love just isn't from God. God says, uh, John says, God is love. God has always been. And He is love. And so the love you're after has always existed. And it is here now. And it will always be. And we have no room to fear because His love for us doesn't depend on any ability to love that we have. Husbands, if your wife comes up to you and says, maybe she's done this. Why do you love me? Anybody? <laughs> You're not going to admit it. That's okay. It's alright. That's happened. I know it has. And if you respond this way, well, you know, I love you because uh, you're functional. I mean, I added things up and I looked at all the other women out there and I figured in my mind, well, this woman of all the women in the world, this woman looked like she would help me reach my goals more than most. She looked like she would give me the greatest sense of well-being. She probably uh, is the most compatible person to operate a household with, with. And so I looked at you and I ran it through the computer of my brain and you were the one, honey. If you say that, what will she say? Answer, not much. Probably for a day or two. Well, probably for a week. Not going to say too much. When somebody says, why do you love me? What we want the person to say is, I love you because I love you. I really can't get behind the love. I don't really have any logical reason for the love other than you, other than love itself. That's what we want to hear. We don't want to hear, well, you're really useful to me. And that's what God says. He doesn't come to us and say, I love you because I see you're serviceable to me. 
He doesn't say, I see you doing all of these great things and that's why I love you. God says, I love you not because of what you do, but just because of who you are. I love you for you. And that's what God is saying in the Bible. And his proof is the cross. There's another clue here, and it's how John begins this very text. Look at the very first word of our text. It's in your bulletin. It's also highlighted. What is it? What's the very first word? Beloved. Beloved. Some of you need to hear this today. You are beloved. God is not angry with you. God loves you. And when you know someone loves you to the core, the last thing that you fear is rejection. God's incredible love for us allows us to step out of the fear that we will never be loved. Another thing that John points us to in this text is to abide. To abide. Abide means to stay in or to remain in. To stay put. And what are we to abide in? John says, I want you to abide in His perfect love. In verses 12 to 16, the word is used six times. In your bulletin, uh, the instances of abide are underlined. And abiding is an easy thing to say, but it's not a natural thing to do. We have a hard time abiding. We have a hard time remaining in God's love. Because, as John will write in the text that we did not read today, there are a lot of things that distract us from abiding. John will mention sin in verse 10. He'll mention judgment in verse 17. He'll mention punishment in verse 18. And all of those things lead us back into fear because sin, judgment, and punishment are things that... If we fall into, then we begin to fear whether or not we're really worthy of love. And I want you to think about what fear really is. Go back to that last time you were really afraid. That last time that spider popped up or that needle you know, came into view or whatever it is. Go back to that. Go back to that scary movie. Go back to that doctor's office. Go back to that relationship that dissolved. What did your fear cause you to do? When you boil it down, fear is the dread of being hurt. We don't want to be hurt. And so when we're in a situation where we think we might be hurt, what we do is whatever comes naturally to avoid being hurt. And so sometimes that means we withdraw. Sometimes we act like turtles that suck themselves back into their shell, right? Fear leads us to self-preservation. Fear leads us to self-absorption, self self-consciousness. Fear causes us to do everything we can do to protect our hearts. And so withdrawal, for some of us, is a popular option. On the other hand... Fear can also cause us to do the exact opposite. We can lash out in fear. Fear often causes us to do very, very horrible things to people. Caleb Kaltenbach is a minister and a writer. He's actually a minister in one of our sister churches. But he didn't become a Christian until later in life. When he was small, his parents divorced, and they both immediately began to live alternative lifestyles. And so he ended up with his mother and her partner. And what that meant as a small kid was 
doing what they did. And so, gay pride parades were one of those things. And Caleb Lartz did a lot of them. He was just with his mom and with her friends. That's all he was doing down the street. Caleb remembers one of those first parades. He was just walking with his mom and her friends, and at the end of the parade, there was a group of people with signs, and the signs had things about God written on them, and things about what God believed about the people that were in the parade. And these same people at the end of the parade had buckets filled with urine that they would throw on the people in the parade. And he said to his mom, who are these people? And she said, they're Christians. And he said, why would they do that? His mom said, that's just what they do. And that's how he grew up. At its best, fear causes us to avoid. But on its worst day, we come out punching. John's answer is to abide in the only thing that drives away fear. And it's in verse 18. I've said it before. Look at it again. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And when you read that initially, you might think, oh, okay, like I did. That means I got to just get it done. Love perfectly. That's the answer. Okay, I've just got to do that. It's like the Nike slogan, just do it, except we'll just, we'll just love, right? Just love. And we'll grit our teeth and we'll love. And we'll do our best to love perfectly. But the problem is, that can't be what John means. Why? Because I can't do that. And you can't either. No matter how hard we try to love, you can't do it Perfectly, You can't, I can't, there is only one person that can possibly pull off a love like that that is absolutely perfect. And it's not about your love or my love. What John is getting at is the love of Jesus. Only his love is perfect. And only his perfect love can drive away fear. And when I abide in, when I stay in, when I remain in that perfect love, then fear will be cast out of my life too. Perfect love means to give yourself. Perfect love means to open yourself up. Perfect love means to be vulnerable. Perfect love means to stay put even though you might get hurt if you stay put. Abiding in that kind of love would lead us to do crazy, crazy things. People do things that they never would have otherwise done when they understand perfect love. They do really sacrificial things. They move to foreign lands to share Jesus. They start giving money when they never would have ever even considered that before. They start giving up organs for other people in their life. They adopt kids that aren't theirs. They invite a neighbor down the block with an alternative lifestyle to the block party instead of camping out at the end of the parade. And at the end of the day, they look a lot like their leader who hung on a cross because he was filled with perfect love. That's what love does. 
And you can see how love is the opposite of fear. Fear causes us to hide, to retreat, to pull back, or to punch and to injure. But love does things that are the opposite. Fear is totally absorbed with my needs, but love is totally absorbed with the needs of someone else. Fear says, I can't take this risk. But love says, I can open myself, I can open myself and be vulnerable. And fear is the exact opposite of love. And John isn't just pointing out that these two things are opposite. There is a deeper truth still here, and that is this, that his love, Jesus' love, is the answer to every fear that you have. That's the deeper truth here. There is a way for fear not to rule my life, and it's to understand the immense wealth of love, the perfect love that I have in Jesus, and that will squash my fear of anything else. There's a great event in the life of Jesus in Mark chapter 4. The disciples are out in a boat, and a storm comes up. And the text says that they were afraid of the storm. They were terrified of the storm. And keep in mind, these are people who knew the sea. They were expert sailors and fishermen. And Jesus is asleep in the boat, and he wakes up, and they are terrified. And he just stands up, and he commands the storm to stop. And... Just at his word, not only does the wind and the waves, not only do they die down, but we read that the wind and the water was completely calm. And that word, calm, leads us to an image where the water is like glass. They're in the middle of the sea. And it's just been wrecked by wind and waves. I want you to think about the last time you've been to a body of water that was any size at all, where you've seen it like glass. How often does that happen? And here, in the middle of the sea, after an intense, violent storm, Jesus says, stop. And the sea is like glass. And this unbelievable experience led these terrified sailors and fishermen to be more terrified. With great fear, with greater fear than they started with, they said, who in the world are we in the presence of? They were afraid of the storm because they couldn't control it, but now the storm is controlled by a bigger person. And they are more afraid of him who could control the storm. They were terrified of him. What's the difference? Are we just moving from one fear to another? No, not at all. The difference is this. A storm can't love you. But Jesus does. Jesus who commands the storm and who commands your storm is bigger than any storm that you will ever have. And His love is the answer to every fear that will come your way. There's a final word in this text that I want you to see, and it is the word see. John says it a couple times. He uses a couple of phrases. They're both bold and italicized in your bulletin. Verse 12 says this, No one has ever seen God. And then verse 20, he repeats that. God cannot be seen. 
And that's an interesting thing coming from the pen of John, because in his gospel, this is just his letter, right, that he writes to people, but in his gospel, his history about Jesus' life, he writes something at the beginning of it almost identical to this. In the first chapter, he says in verse 18, no one has ever seen God. And he goes on, he says, but Jesus, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him no. In other words, God can't be seen by anybody. But when Jesus came on the scene and lived among us, He showed God to us. Jesus allowed us to see God. Jesus made Him visible to us. And that's, that's part of the gospel message. And so John continues that thought here in his letter. He says, no one can see God. But Jesus came and walked and talked among us, allowing us to really see God for the first time. And he continues that thought in his letter. He says, in the very same way, we get to unveil God to other people. We get to make God visible for other people. We make it possible for people to see God for the very first time. How in the world is that possible? John says, by loving them. John writes in his command. It's not a suggestion, it's not advice. In verse 21, the command is to love God and our brothers. It sounds actually like two commands. But those two things that we're supposed to love are actually combined into the same one command. It's not love God and then secondly, you should love other people. No, the two ideas are inseparable. It's loving God means loving other people around you. And that has amazing implications because following Jesus now means that I don't have the right to be unloving towards other people. I no longer have the right to be angry. I no longer have the right to be bitter. I no longer have the right to condemn other people. I no longer have the right to label them, to alienate them, to exclude them, to elevate one group of people over another group of people. I no longer have the right to be prejudiced. I no longer have the right to marginalize people. To love God is to love others. And we give sacrificially to others, whoever they are, just like Jesus gave sacrificially to us when he hung on a cross and proved God's love to us. And that is the way that God will be seen in the world. Last summer, um, a guy named Jason French uh, was one of our speakers on the last night when we talked about love. And he told his own story. And I want you to listen just for a few minutes to Jason tell his story. My dad's another prime example. I still remember the day. I was probably about fifth grade. And uh, we weren't really church-going folk. In fact, we were the people you told your parents that you can't hang out with. Uh, again, it was not abusive, but every weekend, it seemed like as a kid, it was a keg party in my house. Like, my job from little to probably fifth grade was I just mixed drinks on weekends for people coming over to party. There would be a keg for the high school kids to put out a party for the river, and there would be a keg for the adults, and I'd save the adults, and I'd see things the next morning. Wrong. But I remember we went to church, man. We went to church. Finally, my parents met in the bar. Dead drunk. Said, hey, if we get married, we're going to go to church. I didn't, I didn't get to go to the wedding. They just showed up one day and said, hey, we got married last night. I was like, oh, that's cool. And my dad now. All right, here we go. There's that. 
I still remember we, we went to church at first time. We pulled up the parking lot. <laughs> All of us were in this Nashville station wagon. We were pretty poor. We pulled up. My dad's like, I don't think we're dressed for this. We turned around and we went back home. And this is a different church than Curtis's church. This is my home church. We pulled up again to, the, to my home church I go to now. We pulled up another Sunday. We got there. He's like, well, yeah, we're running a little bit late. We should, we should probably head back. So we, we left. Left. Third Sunday, we pulled up in the parking lot. We're there. And we're like, okay, we got this. We got this. We're going to go in. We literally went to church three Sundays and never went in the building. Ever. Just went to the parking lot and then went home. Three Sundays we did that. Finally, we went in and we had ice cream. And these people just loved us, man. Oh, I'll never forget Fifth grade. <clears throat> Back then we lived like still live on the country. Back then we didn't have like dump trucks to get to pick up our trash. It was a little redneck, but there was like 55 gallon barrels. We had to burn our trash in there because nobody come get it. We couldn't let it just like pile up. So I went to burn the trash. And my mom had put her hairspray can in there. When a little fire, I didn't know. And the can blew up and it went down and landed on these oak leaves. And the leaves caught on fire. It started to burn. I didn't know. I was in the house taking a shower. The next thing you know, I, uh, I hear my mom screaming and yelling, Jason, Jason! She see the smoke filling up all over our property. We're like, we don't know where it's coming from. And I'm trying to throw jeans on. You know, I'm trying to hurry up and get ready. And I, I take off running. I grab the hose. And I'm running out there. And, you know, I got the hose on. I take off running. And I look. And as soon as I round the corner where I can see my brother, he had a 55 Chevy two-door hard top that was just leaves underneath it. And the tires were on fire. The whole car was on fire. And I look, my buildings where my dad is a construction worker where he prints his tools. The buildings are about to catch on fire. And I look at it, man, the next thing you know, our house is going to catch on fire. And I'm just sitting there, fifth grade, holding a hose in my hands, working, and it's not even getting close. So I ran back in, like, Mom, 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 we got to get my dad here. You know, his name was Dan. We need Dan. I would call him Dad at this point. Just call him Dan. It's like, we need Dan. We need Dan. I ran inside. So we didn't have cell phones or pages back then, man. This is a long time ago. So she grabs the phone, like, how am I getting a hold of him? And she remembered where he was working, and she remembered that a lady from the church just lived about a mile away. So she called her up. Hey, Vicky, Vicky, listen, can you go get Dan? Our house is on fire. I mean, our property's on fire. Not our house. Our property's on fire. We need him here right now to help us get this fire out. And I said, he's just working right up the road. She goes, oh, honey, I know right where he's at. I'll go get him. And she hugged up the phone. And before Vicky got in the car to go get my dad, she made one more phone call. One more. One last phone call she made. She drove to get my dad, started yelling, Dan, Dan, he's up on the roof, he's crawling off the roof, he's getting tools, telling the other guys working for him, head on home, he's trying to hurry, man, but it takes a while, you know, what's your tools stolen, he's just booking it, finally gets in the truck, he just races home as fast as he can, and as he turns to the corner, as he turns to the corner, he's dodging cars everywhere, cars everywhere, my mom is sitting out there, stirring, <laughs> she's stirring him. A gallon of lemonade. And there's people all over, all over our yards with rakes in their hands. Because that one phone call that Vicky made was to the church. And for everyone else who said, oh, that's too bad that the McGrews lost their house. No, they didn't do that. They showed up. On that day, they didn't just sit in their homes and wish us well. On that day, they couldn't post on social media and hope that everything got better. No, they didn't do that. What they did is they got in their cars, they grabbed their rakes, and they showed up. And when they showed up, that's what led my dad to Christ. Because he knew that none of his friends were doing the church still on that day. He knew on that day, no one that he knew would do what the church would do. 
And the next day, just a few days later actually, I whipped my dad and loaded up all of his liquor in the back of a wheelbarrow in the back of his pickup and I went with him to bless every bottle. I don't know what my dad has missed a Sunday church since. You know what changes the world? People that love. What changes the world are people who show up. What changes the world are people who don't just talk, but they show action. You are the church. You can transform a nation. You can transform a community. You can transform your own neighborhood when you show up. Because on that day, it wasn't just people in my hometown. No, you were there. And you were there. And you were there. And you were there. Because you were the church. And not even the gates of hell can stand against us. Love will conquer. Love will win. The way we love determines whether God is visible. The way we live ought to make it easy for people to see God. And John gives us a really quick how-to. Verses 20 and 21. He lays it out very simply. It's what Jason was talking about. It's just showing up for the people that you can see in your life. So the question is, who will you see today? Who will you see this week? Can you add value to their life? Can you show up, even if it's just with a rake? Can you love them? When we love the people we see, they'll see the God that we love. The best question this week, where do I need to show up? Father, I thank you that this one command, love one another through the church, from just hundreds of people to literally billions of people, this one command, love one another through the church. And we believe that it still can. We believe that it can change husbands and wives and kids and parents and neighbors and bosses. We believe that it can change this town that we live in, this county that we live in, this area that we live in. Not because we know the Bible really well. That's not why the church will grow. The church will grow because we know the love of God and we practice it. The love of God is inseparable from the love for other people. So will you help us never to be afraid to love? Because we have all the love that we'll ever have, that we'll ever need. So there's no reason to be afraid. Help us. Never be afraid because it's the only way others will see God. So Father, help us to ask who is in front of us today that we need to love. Help us to show that love in the way that Jesus has shown us yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like you to stand. And uh, it's a great line. It goes something like this. The people will forget your awards tomorrow. They'll forget your achievements. They'll forget how much hair you did or did not have. They'll forget what kind of car you drove. They'll forget what kind of clothes you wore. They'll forget what kind of house you lived in. But people will never forget the way you love them. And so this invitation time today is an opportunity to step into the light with a very specific 
purpose in mind. I want to invite you to step into the light if you have somebody in your life that specifically you know, I need to go out of my way this week to love that person. And I'm going to be the first to step into the light. Okay? I have somebody this week that I know that I need to love. And when you step into the light, what we're going to do is we're just going to applaud you. But we're also going to take note so that we can pray for you to be able to love that person that's in your brain that you know that God is sending you to love this week. Where do you need to show up? Step into the light and say, God, I will.